This is God's word. It says, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I'm particularly struck this morning by the preciousness of your word and what an awesome thing it is to be able to hear the words of the living God. Father, especially considering that there are over 3,000 people groups in this world who do not have a single word of the Bible translated into their native language. And Lord, we are here richly blessed. Commentaries, concordances, hundreds of different translations, study tools, at the tip of our fingers, at the click of a button. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not despise the gift of the word of God, that we would esteem it for what it is, the words of the living God. And I thank you, Father, that you are the God of failures. Not that you fail, God, but that you choose people who fail for the sake of your glory. And so, as always, Father, as we look at the life of Jacob, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine what it must have been like to be Pharaoh. He's the ruler of Egypt, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he owes a big part of his success to Joseph, the Hebrew, his right-hand man. Or rather, Joseph's God. Because through a correct interpretation of a dream a few years earlier, Joseph and Joseph's God had single-handedly saved the empire from ruin. And not only saved the empire from ruin, but caused it to rise up to be the greatest superpower in the world at that time. Pharaoh loved Joseph. He loved him. That was his right-hand man. And so imagine what Pharaoh must have been thinking when Joseph let him know that his family was going to be moving to Egypt. Pharaoh must have been like, man, I'm going to get a chance to meet the household that this outstanding young man came from. 
Not only that, but I'm going to be able to meet his father. I want to meet this man's father. <laughs> I want to meet the person who raised this remarkable man. And so first, Joseph's brothers come in. Pharaoh meets them, blesses them, hooks them up with fat jobs. Whatever you need, you got it. And then, perhaps the moment that Pharaoh was waiting for happened. Joseph went out to get his father. And so imagine the hush that took place over the king's courts as in walks this frail old man with a noticeable limp making his way up to Pharaoh. Imagine the drama as this old man reaches out his hands to bless Pharaoh. I don't know if Pharaoh was stumbling in an awkward moment trying to figure out what, what should I say? <laughs> Maybe I'll ask him his age. How old are you? What's been the years, the days of your life? And I think that Pharaoh got a little bit more than what he might have expected in Jacob's reply. In verse 9, Jacob answers his question and says, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. But then he adds this caveat. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. What does Pharaoh say to that? <laughs> After saying that, Jacob mentions a few more things about his family, and then he leaves. Who knows what Pharaoh was thinking? Maybe he was thinking, ah, old people, <laughs> they, just, they just say stuff. Amen. Amen. We got you. We'll take care of you for the rest of your life. But what we're going to see as we look at Christ in the life of Jacob this morning, is that those words are pregnant with meaning and profound. What we have in the text that we're going to be looking at, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 25. And this is going to be a, a glance at the life of Jacob. We're continuing in the series called Christ in the Life of Different Old Testament Characters. Now understand when we refer to them as characters, it's not because they're not actually real people or that they're fictional, uh, but rather these are important or prominent people who, who play a, a, a prominent role in the explanation of a narrative. In this case, the narrative is the Bible and the Bible is real, the narrative is real, and the people that we speak about from week to week are absolutely real, as real as you and me. Now, as I studied Jacob's life, I was struck by two things, and these two things are going to keep showing up as we look at it. One, the griminess of sin, <laughs> the, the filthiness, the, the, the messiness, the dirtiness, <laughs> 
whatever other grimy word you can think of to describe sin on the one hand. The second thing is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God in the face of the griminess of sin. And so for the title of this message, I chose the God of failures. The God of failures. We're used to the scripture speaking of the God of Jacob. Which y'all know about the God of failures? I'm going to unpack that. It's a lot of hope for people who've blown it <laughs> in these chapters. As Pastor Mace was saying, this is not a church for perfect people. If you're imperfect, the story of Jacob is for you. If you don't have it together, if you've blown it, if you've messed up, if you've failed the Lord over and over, it's some hope for you in these chapters. And there's plenty of warnings for us to learn from. It says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul, from a New Testament perspective, looking back at passages like the one we're going to look at, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May God be pleased to instruct us and encourage us in Jesus as we look at the life of Jacob. Okay, so first, in order to understand Jacob, first we have to go back to his father Isaac and his mom Rebecca. Now, as we learn from Pastor Deuce, his father Isaac was a rich man. He was, Isaac was a businessman, and he was very, very successful. We learned from Genesis 26, verses 12 and 13, speaking of Isaac, that the Lord blessed him, and he became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Just so you know, you're going to need to have your, your Bibles cracked and open because we're going to be reading a lot of passages and, and flying through. So uh, just try to, try to keep up if you have your word. Now, not only was Isaac pros prosperous financially, but he was also prosperous spiritually. Isaac had the privilege of being the son of Abraham. Abraham, the recipient of all the covenant blessings of God. Isaac himself was supernaturally born when his mom, Sarah, was way past the age of giving birth. Isaac, on top of all of that, had been... The, the, the true God had revealed himself to Isaac. Now, this is an amazing thing in a time when God was not messing with people like that. It was not a common thing to have God reveal himself to you. But God had revealed himself in a unique way in speaking to Isaac. Isaac had a relationship with the living God. There was only one problem, though. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was unable to have kids. And so we read in Genesis 25, verse 21, that Isaac, having this relationship with God, it says, he prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So Jacob's very birth was an answer to prayer. It was an answer to his father's prayer. But yet, in a sense, foreshadowing Jacob's life, his mom's pregnancy was very difficult. Now, his mom, Rebecca, also had a relationship 
with the living God. And so we learn in verse 22 of Genesis 25 that Rebecca says, it says, she went to inquire of the Lord why these, these children are struggling inside of her womb. And then the Lord gives her an answer regarding her difficult pregnancy. And it's a prophetic answer. In verse 23 of Genesis 25, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And so God gives Jacob's mom special revelation that went completely against what was normal in their culture at the time. Normally, it was the firstborn son who received all of the family privileges and all of the, the covenantal blessings. But God is saying, no, the order is going to be flip-flop. It's going to be the, the younger who's actually serving the old, or the older who's actually serving the younger. And we're going to, we're going to learn why this is the case later. Now, Jacob has a twin brother named Esau, and we learn from the gate that even though they're twins, they could not be any more different. In verse 27 of, of Genesis 25, we learn that Esau was rugged. Esau was, he was gully. He was the, he was the man's man, the manly man. Esau is the type of dude that probably would be watching Ultimate Fighting Championship. If not, he would actually be in it himself, right? Absolutely, he was a barbarian, Esau. Barbarian. <laughs> he was the adventurous type, and his father Isaac favored him. And we learn that in verse 28. He was Isaac's boy, Esau. Isaac loved Esau. That was his man. Now Jacob, on the other hand, he was a little bit different, maybe a lot different. Jacob was a mama's boy. Jacob was in the house all the time. He's the type of dude that would probably be watching HGTV with his mom, <laughs> learning how to cook. He, he, he was a different, he was a more civilized type. <laughs> and he was Rebecca's favorite. Rebecca loved her baby boy. She loved her some Jacob. And we also see that he was slick and deceptive. Not only did he get his cooking from his mom, but he got his slickness from his mom, and we're going to see that as well. It doesn't take long before it's revealed in verses 29 to 34 of Genesis 25. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. You got a picture of the scene, yo. This is, this is classic, classic drama. You got Esau, daddy's favorite, out in the wilderness, killing stuff somewhere. He comes home from killing stuff, and what does he smell but the aroma of his favorite stew? 
he can just smell it. He can just taste it. And so I can just imagine that Esau, as hungry as he is, goes in and busts down the door, expecting to see mom cooking up the stew. And what does he see? Jacob. Jacob sitting right there, maybe in a little smock. <laughs> Got the big old spoon, you know, dipping it, smelling it, <laughs> tasting it. Esau's like, what's good? Give me some stew. And look at sneaky Jacob. Give me your birthright. Tell me, I want your birthright now. Now, we know this is sneaky because this is not something that just came up on the spur of the moment. It's not like Jacob just happened to be there, Esau walks in, and he just gets this bright idea about the birthright. No. Jacob had to have been plotting on this birthright for a long time and was just waiting for the right opportunity in order to snatch it. In fact, I can imagine that, that Jacob being Rebekah's favorite son, you can best believe that Rebekah was telling Jacob from the time that he was able to understand, listen, baby, look, you, you are the younger and the older is going to serve you. The Lord told me that, baby. So, look, the birthright is yours and the blessing is yours. And, and we're going to get it by any means possible. You can imagine that. And so Jacob seizes the opportunity and he steals the birthright. Jacob was slick. He was slick. He was sneaky. Now, you have to understand that, like, this birthright, like, Rebecca, in a sense, she was right because she did actually hear from God. But the problem is that she was going about it using her own sneaky devices rather than trusting in the Lord to actually bring it about. She tried to bring it about in her own timing, passed, passed it down to Jacob, who tries to bring it about in his own timing rather than waiting on the Lord. One of the things we see in Jacob's family is some very interesting family dynamics. It, it's like, it's so real. <laughs> like, these are real people with real issues. Nobody trusts anybody in this family. <laughs> The wife doesn't trust the husband. The husband doesn't trust the kids. The kids don't trust each other. There is a, there's a web or a cycle of deceit in this family. Notice what it says, and, and, and this is the backdrop against the beginning of, of uh, Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 to 4. Isaac is old, and it's around the time for him to give the blessing. It says, verse 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 1, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Isaac, Isaac is wrong here. And this is something that I never peeped until I studied this. Isaac is dead wrong because what he's trying to do is he's trying to, in a sneaky kind of way, give the blessing that rightfully belongs to Jacob. He's trying to give it to Esau. 
And the reason why we know that he's trying to be sneaky about it is because he calls Esau in secretly in order to do it. The thing about the giving of the family blessing is that, that in that culture, that was a public event. That was something, it was similar to marriages in our culture. Like giving of the blessing, that's something that you invited the whole family to, the whole community to. You had a great meal, everybody ate together, and then the father bestows the blessing on the child. But here we see Esau or, or Isaac sneakily calling Esau in. Look, 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 I, I know what your mother said, but look. Go out and get daddy his favorite. You, you know how I like it, too. Go out and cook it, and then we're going to come, and we're going to have our own private little, little blessing. So I'm going to hook you up on the side. Your mom won't even know about it. All right, let's do it. Sneaky. Sneaky. But Rebecca, the woman that she is, praise God. No, in the, I mean that in the best way possible. Women just know stuff. I'm sorry. Women just, y'all just know stuff. Amen. Amen. Rebecca knew, Rebecca didn't trust her husband. And so that's why it says in verse, 20, in verse 5 that Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Rebecca is, is eavesdropping over at the door as Isaac is trying to sneakily give the blessing to Esau. And so she overhears Isaac's plan, and we know the story, most of us should know the story, while Esau is out hunting, she grabs Jacob, and she tells him to impersonate Esau. Can you hear Rebecca? Can you hear her? Imagine. Look, baby, the moment of truth is here. I, I told you they was going to try to, get, look, I heard from God. The, the Lord told me this. And so, baby, Look, you go ahead, you take care of the goats, I'll cook it. I know how to cook. Esau can't cook like me. I, 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 know, the recipes your, I know the recipes your daddy likes. I got that barbecue. Look, look just, just, just do it. Just do it. Slick, yo. And so Jacob goes, sneaky, <laughs> puts animal hairs. She puts animal hairs on his hands. He walks in with the meal for his dad, impersonating his twin brother. Now, we're not going to read the account, but, it, but when you read it, you can see that Isaac is like, even though Isaac is blind at the time, like, like Isaac don't trust what's going on. Like something, something, something seems fishy because the voice, he says the voice sounds like, it sounds like Jacob. <laughs> wait, wait come, come, come a little bit closer. Let me, let me, let me, let me feel you, my son. Let, let, let me see what's going on. But it feels like Esau. And then he got the smell of the stew in his nose. Okay, must be him. All right, let's get it. And he gives, he gives Jacob the blessing. Jacob fools his dad, steals the blessing. Esau comes in and he is absolutely furious. Jacob got him again. Not only did he cheat him out of the birthright, but now he done, he done stole the, the covenantal blessing. Like, he's taking everything. And we see Esau's response in chapter 27, verses 41 to 45. It says, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. 
Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her youngest son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? We see that the scheming has had some serious consequences. You know, we look at the story, it seems kind of funny at, at moments, and there are some humorous moments, but, yo, man, like, this is, this is horrible. Consider what has happened thus far. A brother has been deceived. A wife doesn't trust her husband. The husband tries to get over on his wife. The mom uses the son to deceive the father, and now the brother wants to kill the brother. Horrible consequences of sin. Rebecca, again, loving her son, says, look, why don't you bounce, go to Uncle Labe's house, and stay for a little while, and then you'll be able to come back. Little did she know, again, now, now you, have, you have to think about this. Like, in Rebecca's mind, like, Rebecca is in the right because she heard from God that the older was going to serve the younger. So she's moving forward, feeling justified in her sneakiness, almost like, well, look, the, the end of the, the means, the means justifies the ends. Yeah, I know, I know it was kind of foul, it was kind of sneaky the way I went about it, but look, he got the blessing, and that, that's what God said was going to happen, so amen. God is sovereign. <laughs> like, like she, 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 she's scheming, but little does she know the consequences of her scheming, because the Lord always catches the scheming. <laughs> she said that go away for a little while. Right? In verse 44, go, st go stay with Uncle Laban for a little while and then come back after Esau's not mad anymore. Little does she know that she would never see her son again. There's no recorded instance. The next time we see Rebecca, she's dead. She thought he'd be back in a couple of weeks. She never saw him again. Not only that, but the very thing that she feared happen, happening at the end of verse, 20, verse 45, why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Why should I lose both of my sons? So why don't you go? Esau left too, presumably to find Jacob. <laughs> Never saw him again. It's not recorded. So the very, in her scheming, the very thing that she tried to bring about through her scheming, none of it happened, and the exact opposite is what she got. Now, you have to picture the scene. Jacob is now out. He's on his way to Uncle Labe's to stay with him for a little while. This is a key point in Jacob's life because now he's bouncing from home from the, for the very first time. Up to this point, Jacob has lived a life of privilege. He's rich. His father is rich. He's had servants waiting on him all this time. Whatever Jacob needed, he pretty much had and now, for the first time, he is on his own. Jacob is about to find out what it's like to be a man. Jacob is about 
to experience the hard knock life. And you have to remember, like, like Jacob, like he's not like his brother. Like if Esau was sent out into the wilderness on a journey, like you would think like, or he's, like he could probably take care of himself. <laughs> but remember, this is the mama's boy, like stew cooking dude. <laughs> Now he's out in the wilderness by himself for the first time to fend against burglars, robbers, and animals. <laughs> he's alone. And it's, it's at, this at this time we get the first recording of God actually revealing himself to Jacob. Jacob experiences God for himself. In Genesis 20, 28, starting at verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob arose from his sleep, awoke from his sleep, and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Up to this point, God had only been the God of, of Jacob's parents. Now, God, in his mercy and in his faithfulness, reveals himself for the first time as the God of Jacob. This is a monumental shift because now it's no longer just his parents' faith. It's no longer just what he grew up hearing. I'm, I know, I'm sure he grew up hearing about the promises that God had made to his grandfather Abraham. He grew up hearing about the promises that God had specifically and personally revealed to his father Isaac. But he had no experience of it for himself until this time. And what does God do? God repeats the very same thing that he said to his grandfather and that he said to his father. He just, he repeats the covenant. And, and, and he, sweep, he, he sweeps Jacob in to what he has been doing with Abraham and Isaac. And so now he's the God of Jacob. And all the stuff that he said was going to happen through Abraham, now he's saying it's going to happen through you. And not only is he promising, get, uh, promising his blessing, but he's also promising his protection. He says, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And that's something that Jacob probably would have really needed to hear on his own for the, verse, for the first time. The God who is with him wherever he goes. And so he winds up, Jacob winds up at Uncle Labe's crib. And what do you know? He meets a girl. He meets a girl named Rachel, and he falls in love. This story has everything. Adventure, deception, deceit, trickery, romance. It's banging. 
And it's all true. That's what's crazy. Genesis 29, verses 16 to 20. It says, Now Laban had two daughters. <laughs> the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I should give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Aw, yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's the moment when, when most of the sisters and some of the brothers will go, aw, so romantic. He works for his woman. <laughs> but what Jacob doesn't know is that he has met his match in Uncle Labe. Jacob thought he was a hustler. Jacob is about to get hustled. Chapter 29, verse 21 to 25, Jacob has worked the seven years, and he's like, what's good? I sweat for my bride, yeah, it only seemed like a few days now, what's good? Verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Jacob gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? You got to picture it. You got to picture it. Like the moment has come, the people are here, there's a feast during the day. You know what I'm saying? We've, we've had a lot of weddings in our midst. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can only imagine what bride and groom feel like after all the festivities are over. Now it's time to get the honeymoon on and cracking. Like, yo, now it's nighttime. Look, it's no street lights back then, all right? So they're in the desert. <laughs> it is pitch black. <laughs> And so, like, it's not, it's not surprising that he wouldn't know, especially if she was covered with a veil. Like, and so, she was probably dressed up in, in, in Rachel's clothes. She probably would have had to wear Rachel's perfume in order to, you know what I mean? And of course she couldn't say anything because he would find out that it was... So it's the wedding night. They get it in. And then the next morning... It's Leah. She probably like, hey. <laughs> Yo. Yo. <laughs> Yo, what a surprise he got. Yo, we we can't miss the we can't miss the irony here. Like Jacob the hustler has been hustled. The trickster has been tricked. Him and his mom deceived his father. By, by dressing him up like his brother, his uncle and his uncle's daughter deceive him by dressing her up like her sister. Surely, the, the, the tables just turn, yo. And don't get it twisted, like Leah's not innocent in this, in this either. More than likely, she was probably feeling Jacob. 
the, the fact that she didn't say it, she could have said something. She could she could have been like, yeah, look, I'm not I'm not her. <laughs> she ain't say nothing. She was quiet. <laughs> Sins of omission. <laughs> she didn't speak up when she could. <laughs> she went right along with it. <laughs> Sin, yo. <laughs> it's grimy. And so Jacob's like, what's good? Uncle Labor's like, look, after this week is over, you can you can marry Rachel for another seven years. So Jacob, he loves Rachel so much that he works another seven years for her. Aww. But now Jacob has two wives. <laughs> the one that he loves and then the one that he got tricked <laughs> into marrying. Now, something very interesting starts to happen over the next couple of years. Picture this. <laughs> Jacob has two wives. One of them he's feeling, the other he's really not feeling like that, but he's obligated to her because he married her, and especially in that society, like don't, don't, don't trip on the, on the multiple wives thing. It, it, was a, it was a cultural practice, and because it's being des described here doesn't mean that God is saying it's being prescribed, that that's the way that it's supposed to be. But, however, in this culture, now he has responsibility. He has to take care of this wife that he's not even feeling as much as he's feeling his other wife. He has to fulfill his husbandly duties to her, right? Something interesting starts to happen, though. Rachel, the one that he loves, is not having any kids. And time is going by, but at the same time, Leah is just popping them out, one by one, baby after baby, yo. She, in fact, she, had, she, winds up having, she winds up having four babies, one after the other. Now, now think about it. There's a rivalry now between these two sisters. They're, like These two sisters are arguing over this, this one man, and it starts to become a competition. Like, Leah... Is having ba Can you imagine the shame of Rachel in that society where fertility is valued by women? Like, Leah's like having, <laughs> Leah's nursing one. She got one running around here. Jacob is holding one. She got four babies. Leah's probably like, yeah, he, he loves you, but um, I got the kids. Where you, where, where, where's the fruit? <laughs> Not seeing any fruit in your life, Rachel. You can say I'm reading them, but look what happens in the next verse, in the next chapter. They start to have a, a, a pregnancy competition. <laughs> chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she, bore, that, that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. <laughs> Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said... Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? He's like, it ain't my fault. Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. And so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. So at this point, Leah's having babies like, she's giving them all kinds of religious names. She names one of them, the, praise the Lord, the Lord has seen my affliction. And now Rachel's like, yo, what's good? I, I want some kids too. I want to rejoice too. I can't have babies. Here, take my servant and go into her. Does that sound familiar? It should. It should sound familiar because that's the same thing that 
Jacob's grandmom, Sarah, said to Abraham, you see the sins being repeated from generation to generation. And so Jacob's like, okay. <laughs> Goes in to the servant. So now Leah sees it and is like, wait, hold up, hold up. I, I have a servant too. Go into her, Jacob. And so, so what we see in verse 30 is a pregnancy competition between two wives who are fighting over the same man. This is a mess, yo. This is a mess. And you have to remember, this is how the 12, like, this is how the 12 tribes of Israel got started. Like, these 12, like, these are the founding fathers of the faith. These are the 12 tribes. This strengthens, like, reading this strengthens my, it should strengthen your faith in the scriptures, yo. Because think about it. Nobody would portray their heroes like this. In all of their flaws, in all of their, just like, you're used to seeing superheroes being portrayed as flawless. Like, this is anything but flawless. This is a mess. Praise God that he's the God who chooses the flawed. And so Jacob, he has 12 sons and a daughter. He's been there for 20 years at Uncle Labe's, and now it's time to get away. It's time to bounce. And so the Lord reveals himself to Jacob in a dream, and he reveals how to breed sheep in such a way that Jacob could prosper and then be able to leave with his family. In chapter 31, verse 3, and this is an important verse, uh, God speaks to Jacob again with a command and a promise. It says, the Lord, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so Jacob, he gets his kids, he gets his wives, and he runs away from Uncle Labe. But Uncle Labe tracks him down, and you see God's divine protection because God actually reveals to Uncle Labe in a dream, don't even touch him. Don't, don't, don't mess with him. Labe went with intentions to hurt him. God reveals himself, intervenes in the life of a pagan Gentile for the sake of his people, and says, you better not touch him. Don't even say anything bad to him. And so Labe, Laban, <laughs> Uncle Labe, falls back, says what he has to say, and then lets Jacob be about his way. Now, now that he's left Uncle Labe, Jacob should be on his way back to his forefathers. That's, that's where he should be going. That's where God explicitly told him to go in 31 verse 3. But what we see is that Jacob is, as he's traveling, he's reminded of something. Because he's gotten away from Uncle Labe, but now it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> Esau. Jacob remembers the old beef from 20 years beforehand now of Esau desiring to kill him. And Jacob is shook. In chapter 32, verse 7, it says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And in his fear and in his distress, Jacob cries out to God. And we see that. In, th in chapter 32, starting at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. 
I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my only staff, I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, es of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the children, but, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. We're starting to see some growth in Jacob. This is a banging prayer in a lot of ways. You notice the virtue of humility starting to be worked in Jacob. Yes, he's crying out. It's, it's out of fear, but like, this is a humble prayer. We, this is a humility that we hadn't seen before. I'm not, least, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. You also see that Jacob now has an awareness of the covenant promises of God. Lord, Lord, you said in your word that this is what you were going to do through, through the family. God, please fulfill what you've promised. See him recalling God's promises back to him. You see him having a humble posture. You see him relying on the Lord. So you see growth, amen. But yet, he's in process. So at the same time, it's, like it's, a, it's a muddy picture right now. Because yes, you see some growth, but at the same time, you see the same fear and you're going to see the same deception as well. He's in process. So out of this fear, Jacob sends everybody, all, all, all of the sheep, uh, all the wives, everybody, he sends them ahead of him to meet up with Esau in order to bribe him. Like, basically, like, look, Esau, look, here's, here's everything. Look, I, I'm your humble servant, Jacob. Take this as an offering and take this as a, as a pledge of, of my service to you. Like, he's basically trying to bribe. Like, he, he's taking matters into his own hand. Like, he just called, cried out to the Lord, but now he's trying to take matters into his own hands. Now, he sends everybody ahead, and he's left alone in the wilderness where we have the famous encounter of his wrestling with God. Verse 22 of, of Genesis 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and, and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone again. And his time of being alone is when the Lord meets with him in his darkest time, in his time of greatest fear, is when the Lord meets with him. Uh, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, hip, hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Further down in verse 30, it says, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is without question a high point in the life of Jacob. In fact, some scholars think that this is when Jacob was actually converted. I, I don't know. But either way, it's a landmark event in his life. It's a high point. Not, on, not only does he meet with God face to face, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jacob has face to face with God. But then, after that, 
his beef, that he, the thing that he feared for so long, for 20 years, that was always in the back of his mind, like, God removed it. In the next chapter, we see a peaceful encounter with Esau. Like, God has made his very enemy to be his friend. God has fulfilled his promise to be with him wherever he goes. So at this point, it's like, yo, like, it's on and popping in the life of Jacob. Like, we expect from here on out, like, it's going to be, it's going to be smooth sailing. In fact, in chapter 34, we come to probably the darkest moment in Jacob's life. Now, this is after walking with God for some time now. This is, this is crazy. Chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Verse 5. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob, verse 7, had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Skip down to verse 25. Um, at, at this point, the sons, they, they, they come up with a plot to have all of the dudes in, in that land, Shechem, to have all of them circumcised and to kill them after they're weak in their circumcision. And so the story picks up in verse, th- verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, they've been, grown men have been circumcised, Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and the field all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, and they, ca- they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Bad things here. Bad things. Real quick, a couple, four bad things in this text. One, Jacob's not keeping proper watch on his daughter, allowing her to be out there like that. It says that she was amongst the women of the land in chapter 34, verse 1. She went out to see the women of the land. The, the sense there is not that it was a one-time thing, but that it was, this was a continuous thing His daughter, his young, probably around 13, maybe 14-year-old daughter, is out amongst the women in this pagan land. Jacob's not watching over her as, as a father should. Number two, bad things. His passive response in verse five. 
His daughter has been raped. His daughter has been kidnapped. And in verse 5, when Jacob finds out about it, it says he held his peace until they came. We see the sin of passivity. Not protecting his daughter. Not looking out for his family. Being passive. In verse 9, it says that he would have agreed to a pact to allow his sons to marry foreign women, which Isaac had already told him not to do. And it's crazy. It's like, as you read it, you're going through the story and you're like, okay, this is banging. He meets with God and then it comes to this and you're like, no, 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 don't do it. Ah, Jacob. Ah, dad, Jake. I can only imagine that as the angels watch our lives, are they like, yeah, that's what's up. Uh, 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 no, 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 ah, nah, nah, yo. Look at Jacob's selfish response in verse 30. His sons have killed, committed mass murder. All Jacob can think about is himself. You've brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves around me and attack me, I shall be destroyed. Jacob's not thinking about anybody but himself. Failure. Failure on four at least four accounts. This, the, the interesting thing is in verse 13, we see that, that Jacob, you, Jacob's sons used deceit in order to get over on those cats. The sons of Jacob, deceitful, the sin being passed down from one generation to the next. On top of all of this, like Jacob shouldn't even be there right now. Like God had told him back in, in Genesis 31, like go back home to your fathers. But... Jacob has settled down. He's built a house. He's, like, he's not staying in tents. He's purchased land. Like Jake, uh, Jacob has been there for at least about 10 years at this point when he should have been back. Had he obeyed God in the first place, like the whole scenario would have been different. Think about what Jacob's disobedience brought upon his family. It's led to a web of lying, stealing, rape, Kidnapping, mass murder, the griminess of sin. I think in a life that's full of failures, this is probably the biggest failure of them all. And yet we see God in chapter 35 demonstrating his faithfulness again. He doesn't bring up the account of what just happened. But in verses 9 through 12, God appears again. In verse 11 says, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a, company of na and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. He speaks of the land. God comes right back and repeats the same exact promises that he, like, Jacob did his thing in his disobedience, and it's almost like God is like, okay, you done? Now, do what I told you to do. God's purposes are still going to be fulfilled even in the midst of his disobedience. It's still going to be fulfilled. Do what I told you to do. And so as I come to a close, we have to remember this, like it's a lot more heartbreak <laughs> to come in Jacob's life. Soon after this, the love of his life, Rachel, is going to die, giving birth to the son, Benjamin. Not only that, but 
In verse 22 of Genesis 35, it says, while Israel lived in that land, Israel speaking of Jacob, Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. His own son sleeps with one of his wives, and it, that's, that's grimy. Like, you have Reuben sleeping with his, two of his brother's mother. So just add an incest to the list of family sins. More heartbreak was to come. Out of jealousy, you know the story of Joseph? The brothers throw Joseph into a pit and then tell Jacob that his beloved son, the son of Rachel, has been killed. And so he has to bear the weight of that for years to come. And so the griminess of sin, like why? Why do I mention all of these things? Why, why spend so much time? Why does the Bible spend so much time walking us through the catalog of filthiness and grime? We got incest, murder, kidnapping, rape, lying, thieving, and any other idolatry. It's no commandment that hasn't been broken in these stories. Why? is to magnify the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things are written to magnify the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Something very interesting begins to happen as you continue to read beyond this story of Jacob and you continue to read the Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, at the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, of Jacob. In Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 114, verse 7, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And this is my favorite. Psalm 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We should never read that term, God of Jacob, the same ever again. Because when he says the God of Jacob, he's speaking of being the God of failures, the God of people who are grimy, the God of people who don't have it together the God of people who are in process, the God of people who are not what they desire to be, but by his grace are still growing, and, and by his grace will get to a point eventually of perfection by his grace. And think about this. In Hebrews 11, when Jacob is mentioned, you don't see anything about his sin. The only thing you see is his faith. How could God do that? How could he do it? We've already talked about the incest, the kidnapping, the murder, the rape, the torture. Like, how could God do it? It's because of the cross. It's because of the cross. As it says in Romans 3.25, in his divine forbearance, speaking of the cross, it says, in his divine forbearance, God had left the former sins unpunished. 
God was able to not smash Jacob because he already had the cross of Jesus Christ in view. The cross stands at the centerpiece of human history. God had already placed Jacob's sins on Jesus Christ in his mind. It was already done. Jesus Christ had already taken the wrath that Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob deserved for their sin. And he's done it for us. We also who fail, we also who don't get it right, we also who are grimy. God has placed our sin on Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken the wrath that failures like me deserve. And so, by way of application, repent, <laughs> turn from your sins, trust the God who saves failures. <laughs> Trust the Jesus, the Jesus who is the Jesus of process, who will wrestle with you, and he will ultimately, ultimately prevail in your life. He will get his glory out of your life. Trust in that Jesus. Number two, embrace and rejoice in the biblical truth of unconditional election. The truth that God chooses apart from anything in us. Romans chapter 9, speaking of Jacob, Romans 9, 10 through 12, it says, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the elder will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. God didn't choose Jacob because of anything good. Like, God didn't look down the corridors of time. Like, all he would have seen was rape, murder, incest, torture. No, God chose him out of God's own free will. And that's how he chose us. He didn't choose us because of anything good in us. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. He has compassion on whom he has compassion, and he heartens whom he heartens. And as sinners, none of us can say, God, what have you done? Because we're all guilty before him. All we can do is fall on our face and praise God, the God of Jacob, the God of Shai, the God of Epiphany, the God of failures. Rejoice in the biblical. Don't fight against it. Rejoice in it. It's your only hope. Unconditional election is the only hope for your unsaved friends. I hope you're not, you're not waiting for your unsaved friends to get it together themselves. Their only hope is a God who sovereignly chooses apart from anything in us. Rejoice and adore God for the truth of unconditional election. Third, trust the God who accomplishes the pur his purposes in spite of our failures. Real simple. Trust the God who accomplishes all of his purposes in spite of our failures. And then finally, be warned. <laughs> be warned by Jacob's example. This is not in the Bible so that we can say, oh, okay, Jacob got his sin on, let me get my sin on. <laughs> I'm going to be all right. No, 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 that's, that's foolishness. No. We see, we see in his life, what did he say at the end of his life? My days have been evil. Evil, few and evil have been the days of my life. So that's a warning for us. I'm going to close with this quote by John Calvin. It says, 
Satan endeavors by whatever means he can to pervert the grace of God in the elect, or at least darken it with scandal. This is why disgraceful examples often appear in the church. Through this, the Lord causes his people to be humbled, that they may be more watchful and prayerful, and may learn to entirely depend on his mercy. Amen? Let's pray. Ah, Father. <laughs>